Let us pray. Silence in us now, O God, any voice but your own. And as all the other noises of our lives and of our world are sent to the margins of our thinking and our spirits, open your word to us now, that in its hearing we may respond in faith and in joy and in hope. For we pray in the strong name of Christ Jesus, who is our Lord and our Savior. Amen. Friends, our epistle lesson for the morning comes from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippian church, beginning at the fifth verse of the second chapter. Let us hear God's word. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as you might imagine, our family grew up with lots and lots and lots of music. We sang in the car, whether driving down the street or across the country. We sang at school. We sang at church. We sang everywhere. The three kids, my sister, brother, and I, had boxes of 45s. Some of you might remember those. That we played on our record players. Some of you might remember those. And my parents had a whole collection of record albums. Some of you might remember those. I remember there was a Henry Mancini album and a Sound of Music soundtrack. Do you remember the Fifth Dimension? We had a Fifth Dimension Greatest Hits album. We felt very groovy at the time. <laughs> and I remember another record very distinctly with a kind of rough brown cover and a raised gold seal embossed on it. Maybe you had it in your home as well, the soundtrack to Jesus Christ Superstar. So we played it and we played it and we played it year around. So that even now, I can repeat nearly every word of every song by heart. I won't do that this morning. <laughs> But I do recall one memorable song of many memorable songs which remembers what we have just remembered, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem. I bet you remember it as well. Hosanna, Hosanna, Zanna, Zanna, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. I bet that now has just pushed any leftover of the beautiful Gibbons piece right out of your mind. 
and you'll now be singing that to yourself the rest of the day. You're very welcome, I promised. If you remember, it's triumphant and boisterous and chaotic, much like I think the first Palm Sunday was. It's punctuated in the negative only when the Pharisees sang in a low, growling voice, tell the rabble to be quiet, we anticipate a riot, this common crowd is much too loud. And then I bet you remember Jesus' response. If every tongue were stilled, the noise would still continue. The rocks and stones themselves would start to sing. And then it's back to Hosanna, Hazanna, and so forth and so on, and the story unfolds. It took me years, of course, to understand that Jesus Christ Superstar was quoting the Bible and not the other way around. <laughs> we shared those words just now as we waved our palm branches and echoed Hosanna 2,000 years ago. I tell you, Jesus said, if these, meaning the crowd, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. The stones would shout out. In our year of stories, our invitation is to shout out, to proclaim with those earlier crowds, to claim and share our stories of faith. But our invitation is also to listen, to listen to the stories of the stones when we are unable to tell our stories. We tell our stories, and when external forces or internal ones make that difficult and silence becomes the reality, we listen. Because this good news cannot be contained, it will not be silenced. There are so many implications to what seems like a symbolic affirmation from Jesus. And the first implication is, of course, symbolic. Jesus did not literally mean that the stones would shout out, at least I don't think so. His point, the power of praising God, does seem to indicate his awareness, his continual mindfulness that God's creativity and God's providence extends beyond mere humanity. His awareness of the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, even the seeds planted in the earth, all carriers of God's redemptive story that punctuates the agrarian nature of his ministry, but also how holistic his approach is. Even if everything else were to fall silent, by choice or not, the stones would shout out. Now, there is that tradition, of course, when important things happen biblically to build a stone monument, a silent, permanent testimony to a person or an event. We know that. We do that as well. Perhaps you've sat quietly at the Lincoln Memorial or some other place and kind of sensed history speaking to you. I get that sense when I sit quietly, the lights turned out in this space, usually in that balcony. 
the stones speaking out, telling their stories. This is all of that to be sure, but it's more than that. All creation singing God's praise, all creation. So we need to listen. But it's even more than that. Our Presbyterian brief statement of faith talks about listening to the voices of peoples long silenced. There's often confusion when we read that little sentence. Is it people singular or peoples plural? And, and you know I love a good grammar discussion. It's plural, peoples. Groups of people who have not had voice in church or in culture. We've reflected on that in this Lenten season. Those groups with no privilege of voice, no power, no access. And if we were listening truly to the stones of history, what messages would we hear? What messages would we hear if we were listening to those voices long silenced now? The Pharisees understood that. That's why they were trying to silence those voices, tell the rabble to be quiet. But Jesus knows. Yet he also knows that our individual voices can fall silent. There are times or seasons when our voices are incapacitated by illness or by circumstance or by choice even. Pressure from the outside, pressure from the inside, internal timidity, maybe even cowardice. That's what I love about this day, this Palm Sunday. For a moment anyway, we've pulled it all together. We wave our palms and lay our coats on the ground and we welcome him properly, every implication notwithstanding. The stones don't need to shout out because we do a pretty good job of it. My friend Jill Duffield writes, I don't want to skip over the joy and glory of this Sunday. In the face of far too much violence and too many shouts of hate, I want to dwell in the beauty of unstoppable proclamations. I want to bask in the truth of these words, the power of speaking them even after Jesus' declaration of the suffering and death to come, the audacity of ignoring the Pharisees' rebuke and instead declaring the reign of the Lord despite the current rule of sinister worldly powers. That's what this day is about. But as Becky reminded us, we know it will be short-lived. In fact, already it is happening. If you follow in Luke, the very next verses after this triumphant entry show us Jesus first weeping over the city, lamenting Jerusalem's inability to make peace and to do justice. And then he enters the temple and drives out those doing business. And all of that plotting to kill him, which has been bubbling and percolating, only intensifies, making today's triumph short-lived. Now the voices aren't silent exactly, but their truth and their power is distorted and diluted. 
It's a cliche to say it, but it's also true that soon the voices that have shouted out Hosanna, our voices, will instead cry out, crucify him. Also, our voices. The original crowd did not know what would happen next, even though Jesus had been foretelling and foreshadowing his death, essentially for the duration of his ministry. We have the benefit of hindsight, the full picture. And even so, we are caught up in how quickly the voices change their tune and their tone. How do we understand this path? from palm to passion, from Hosanna to crucify? How do we understand Palm Sunday as this pivotal moment in the story and the pivotal role our voices will play in all of their fullness, strength and weakness, praise and condemnation? I remember being in my college years in Israel on this, on a Palm Sunday, There were thousands of us, maybe even tens of thousands of us from all over the world, lots of students, all recreating this path, starting up at the Mount of Olives and descending into the city, singing and shouting and waving palms. And it was, in fact, everything you might imagine it to be. And I remember the whiplash just a couple of days later being, if not precisely in the room where it happened, in general proximity to the room where it happened, where that supper, where that betrayal, where that condemnation happened. But we're not quite there yet. It's coming. But let's linger here for another moment at least. Pay attention to that story again, it's beautiful narrative, the willingness to give the Lord what is needed, a colt, without question. Then the joyful multitude, then the threat of the Pharisees, whose shadows continue to have power even now, anytime voices of justice and hope and reconciliation are squelched. And Jesus' rejoinder to that fear, his deep trust in God and the power of love and the power of hope. His understanding that while the power of culture is strong, the power of authority and fear, even that power will ultimately fail. And in that sense, we gather in a similar moment. Although my hunch is that the church has always gathered in similar moments. We wonder about our effectiveness in the world. Does any of this make a difference? Is anyone listening? Is our message gaining any traction at all? When every cultural and political indicator suggests otherwise. And then we worry about our own individual capacity to make our voices heard. Whether on the important issues before us or or our own very human shortcomings. So that even as we shout out today, the impulse towards silence is understandable and all too human. And the good news is that Jesus understands that. 
that while he is critical of it throughout his ministry, he ultimately accepts it as he ultimately welcomes us. But even in the face of all that human shortcoming, Palm Sunday tells us that getting it right is not the point. The point is in the effort itself. Again, Jill Duffield writes this year, Palm Sunday feels more like a protest march than a triumphant parade. A witness to the courage of the crowds to worship the one who knows their worth right in front of those who want to keep them quiet. A prescient display of the relentless rule of God that destroys death, refuses to be silenced, raises up the least, recovers the lost, and saves sinners. Jill wonders that if later, whether the disciples looked back on this Sunday and remembered that even if every person remained mute about the reign of the Lord, the stones would cry out because nothing, no one, can prevent the triumphant, life-saving, evil-defying, death-crushing power of God. No one can prevent the life-saving, evil-defying, death-crushing power of God. That, friends, is what we believe. So, with humility and hope, let us endeavor to wave our branches as long as we can, to sing God's praise, to share love with a broken and fearful world, And when that fails, when whatever silences us does just that, perhaps we can ask the question poet Bess Gabinsky asks, layer upon layer, years of growth and pressure, what do the stones say? Trauma and damage held together but never the same, what do the stones say? What do they say? What stories? do they tell? When our humanity takes over and our voices fall silent, what do the stones say? With humility and hope, let us listen, because blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen.